In business and life, relationships are everything. Welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, where we interview top business leaders and learn how they build relationships with their teams, clients, and those that promote and refer them. Here's your host, business trainer and leader of the People Catalyst team, Carla Nelson. And welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, my friend, Alan Fadden. Hello, Carla. Hello. How was your day, sir? It is a good day. And uh, as I always say, it's an even better day now that we're doing a podcast. Yay. I always love podcast day. You know, it's interesting. It's doing this podcast. We initially launched it because we wanted to reach a broader audience with the Who Do Method. And it's been interesting because I've learned just as much as I've wanted to teach others. <laughs> There's just a nonstop learning aspect, right? Of, uh, of, uh, and, and what we're going to talk about today is really unique because a lot of people, uh, if you're not in the technology world, it'll be interesting. Everybody has heard of project management, but not everybody has uh, heard of Agile, which is a methodology and specifically what we're going to talk about today, Scrum. Yes, absolutely. And it's interesting, too, because uh, one of the things about uh, Agile and Scrum is that it, it introduces rules and roles. And uh, the, the roles, and this is what we're going to say, uh, I'll, I'll use the word unfortunately now, it's one of the one of the things that's missing is, unfortunately, the roles are based on pretty much traditional things when there's so many more opportunities out there to do things faster. But the rules uh, can be very effective because they dictate that you spend less time uh, on the project. You have shorter meetings, you have shorter time between meetings, you have de deliverables that come faster. So it's sort of like the reverse of Parkinson's law, you know, where work fills the time allotted to it. And uh, this way, you have a much shorter time allotted to it, so you've got to just cram it all in there. Now, of course, the downside of that is that you can move too fast and miss things, and so the quality of your work can suffer, and it might, uh, might uh, hurt you a lot later on down the line. Yes, and we'll get into uh, um, a, a bit in a moment about how that overlays with Hoodoo. And I forgot, I should have mentioned the creator of Scrum, and most people wouldn't even know this, um, was over 20 years ago when the first team was developed. And it was developed by a gentleman named Jeff Sutherland. He's actually written a book, if you're uh, curious about it. It's number three in its space on Amazon. Right. But he was a West Point fighter pilot, a biometrics expert, an early innovator of ATM technology and a whole bunch of other crazy stuff. So he's definitely no slacker. And he de and it was before his time too, because he saw these challenges that teams were having in managing projects specific to technology. Now, it, it, here's the thing. It's really a great project management of intangible products. And, you know, all of us are now having to work in that intangible space. So think about project management from tangible to intangible when you're, you know, making and creating, you know, a hard object versus now, you know, we're constantly uh, focused in the intangible. Even look at marketing. We used to print flyers and put them out places, right? So in the tangible, we're really constrained by the materials, the manufacturing, right? And so, but if you broaden the category of software out to include all intangibles, then you capture that idea that 80 to 90% of the economy is a service economy, right? And that many tangible products have services then, then you can wrap around 
that intangible, if that yeah. makes sense. You can absolutely. In fact, a great example of that is if any of you have a, uh, own a car where they'll do all the maintenance free and they'll come and pick you up and uh, uh, take you home and so forth. Uh, that's a, a way to increase the value uh, of the offering radically. And it's an easy way to do it because, again, tangibles have a lot of constraints. You're constrained by the materials you're using, the time it physically takes to do things. Once you're in intangibles, then you don't have those constraints anymore. So, uh, and this always reminds me of one of my favorite uh, books by uh, Joe Pine and Doug Gilmore. It's called The Experience Economy. And what they did, and I'll just cut this short, is they they showed how you could take something that had almost no value, and then there's a predictable ladder of five steps it can climb up, and you can you can actually rem, uh, dratic, uh, drastically increase the value dramatically. So, and uh, the story they tell is a cup of coffee. So everybody, now these numbers may not be perfect, but they'll give you an idea. They're pretty close. Cup of coffee you had this morning, if you get it down to the beans, you know, just a commodity, freshly picked but unroasted coffee beans, that cup of coffee cost about six cents, beans only. So now, if you want to increase the value of that cup of coffee, what you do is, and, you know, Folgers did this, and they're still, you can buy it in the store, is what you do is you'd roast the beans, and you'd grind them, and you put them in a package and ship them to a warehouse, and they'd ship it to a store, and or online or whatever, and you get uh, your ground coffee, and then you could, at home, brew yourself a cup of coffee. So the value of the offering triples, more than triples from six cents as a commodity to, let's say, 20 cents as a product. In other words, amortize that piece of your can of Folgers coffee or whatever that you drink that morning. So uh, now that's a pretty good leap, but here's a real big leap, and that is the next step up. So there's commodity, product, service. And this is why you should think about wrapping your products in a service. So instead of, uh, instead of uh, brewing the, the coffee at home, instead you get in your car and you stop off at the nearest convenience store. Now you're paying a buck and a quarter for a cup of coffee. But you're paying for what? They, uh, they took the coffee and they uh, brewed it for you and they provided a cup for you and, and had it ready hot so you could just pick it up and, uh, and leave. So that's a, a jump from 20 cents to $1.25. That's more than six times the value just simply by making a service out of a product. And oftentimes these services can be intangibles. In this case, it's much more tangible because you're, you're heating the water and, and so forth. But there's so many like the car coming to pick you up that, that can be intangible or uh, let's say uh, uh, at least a, a service wrap around it. So now there are two more steps up. Imagine now you're going into Starbucks or... Oh, yeah. We know that place pretty well. <laughs> yes. And so now you walk in and that's... Uh, so we've gone commodity to product to service to experience. You walk into a place, there's Wi-Fi, there are people sitting around, there are people talking. Uh, you can get yourself a... Uh, uh, let's see, uh, how about a uh, venti cappuccino 
uh, with uh, <laughs> with uh, almond milk and extra foam. Yeah, like a, like <laughs> half calf, half decaf with half and half, or something like that, and it'll cost you say three seventy five. So there's another tripling of the value from one twenty five as a service up to uh, three seventy five as a uh, as an experience, the place you can go and hang out and so forth. And so, but my favorite is the is the biggest value, which is uh, priceless, and that would yeah. be step five, a transformation. Imagine drinking a cup of coffee that would change your life and give you everything you've ever dreamed of. You'd with none be of the rich. Downside. It would be amazing. What a life. <laughs> Transformational <laughs> cup of coffee. Yeah. You always see the transformation leap into, if you ever look online to like, we can change your life, right? Yeah, well, absolutely. Transformation is everywhere. They actually tried this way, way back, like 30, 40 years ago, there was a restaurant in Japan who offered a cup of coffee. When when coffee was only like in a restaurant, maybe 20, 25 cents a cup, they offered a $10 cup of coffee and it was just a normal cup of coffee. And they didn't <laughs> sell any, but you know what they sold out of? Everything else? $5 cups of coffee. Yeah, exactly. They had a, a step back. And so people would go in to this restaurant and pay $5 for a cup of coffee, 20 times what they'd ordinarily pay in order Simply to... Simply because they juxtaposed it against the $10. They, they, they were going to see if some idiot walked in and paid $10 for a cup of coffee. So they sat there all day drinking $5 cups of coffee, waiting for this idiot to come in so they could laugh at the idiot. Oh my gosh. There is a great um, book on that. It's the ups, <laughs> the upside of irrationality. And it talks about offering how people are just, you have to understand the psychology of them buying. So I love that story. That that is such a good story to identify. And, you know, I think that's twofold. We got into it. So we're talking about Scrum applied to products, right? But when Alan getting in the intangible, I think it's, you have to think about the intangible and the tangible. But for the purpose of today's call, we're actually separating the intangible from the tangible simply because Scrum and overlaying uh, the Hoodoo method, which we're going to talk about how to do that in a project management aspect is we really want to focus on the intangible um, yes, projects that you final, have in your company. Because the final product is code. I mean, you can't get much more intangible than that. Yes. Or even today, like look how much strategy you could run through in doing a marketing uh, plan and testing it, that it's still code, even if it's code that some of the platform use. It's like (laughs) even what used to be tangible has slowly shifted into that intangible space. And I think, you know, that's why more than ever having a process in order to do this quickly. And I'll use the word agile, even though specifically we're going to talk about scrum because scrum identifies the roles in which, and Alan, you said it best, it identifies the roles and it has rules. Um, we're going to go through each of those and and we'll probably put a link then to uh, actual Scrum itself because there are three different, uh, are two different teams kind of, well, it's not team, it's product owner team, Scrum master, and then processes that you go through. And I don't want to get into all the details uh, from that because you can find that on a great YouTube video. I've watched a ton of them on Scrum in the past and books and all sorts of good stuff. Um, so we'll put that in the link um, in the in the podcast notes so that you can check that out. 
However, it's what I want to talk about is, is that we really like the rules of Scrum, but I think the biggest thing that you could do just to make a couple tweaks to really have this project management. And again, you can use this for any intangible. It does not have to be just for developing technology is the roles because the rules are clear, but the role itself is kind of, can be kind of an issue. Like for instance, the product owner, I talked about that. That's a key stakeholder. So this might be the person that's hiring somebody to develop the software or the CTO that's at the end of the day responsible for it. So with the product owner, a challenge you can really run into because of the role is, you know, they may not accept the work of the team due to, you know, all sorts of stuff, but unconscious, unconscious personal bias, the fact that you didn't run through a process, uh, the hoodoo method, in order to figure out what it is you wanted to accomplish in their approver. So, you know, they, yeah. there's still too much wrong with it, right? So understanding that person's core nature of work in the, in the process, even though they can be any of the four core natures of work and having an understanding where they're coming from in the part of the work that they're doing, because that's exactly what you're asking them to do is own that space of being the product owner. Yeah. And in fact, think about this, the product owner can look at your final output and say, no, that's not it. You know, I'll never run with that. Okay. Now you've just wasted all that time. Now you've wasted time faster, but you still wasted time. So one of the things, the solutions to this is that the team should know uh, this, this product owner because they're the buyer in a sense of the team's work. So if they know the, the, the uh, product owner's core nature, then they can relate uh, correctly. That person's an early adopter. They can, uh, they can focus on certain things and make sure that it's an innovative solution. If the person's a later adopter, they might have to have a lot more safeguards built into that. And so that at least they, they'll know what they need to do to get the idea to actually see the light of day. Yes. And, and you, that's the biggest challenge in any project management is people killing things and, and using position and power over process. Right. Absolutely. Remember, Deming, 94% of failure is process, process failure. failure, not people <laughs> failure. And that's the biggest breakdown that we get is we don't depend on the process and then we shift and it becomes a, it, we, we want to point fingers. It is a people failure, but it's because we did not use the process in the manner that it was intended. And so then, so we talked about the product owner, the next uh, person on the, that's identified here in Scrum is that the Scrum Master. So this is the facilitator. So the Scrum Master may actually, you know, slow the team down if they don't have some type of coordinator. Again, process, you can use the Hoodoo method in that aspect, okay? Have the process so that it rises above the personal biases, right? To understand that person's core nature of work, and you pro- likely, because their job is to make thing every, everything move fast, you know, you're gonna look for a doer. And the two doers on the hoodoo method is uh, uh, that would work in this space the best would be a oneer. That's somebody who one percent of the population that can come up with the idea, pick the best idea, set of ideas, poke all the holes with it, and do the day to day. They can own that space. If, yeah, taught and trained. There's equal balances in their core natures of work. One percent of the population, or a mover is likely going to be your absolute best core nature of work because they're natural facilitators and doers. And so understanding 
you know, who the scrum master is and ensuring that the role matches the core nature of work and that they can own that role and overlaying and having the intervention or uh, having the process that saves the um, core nature of work from killing the entire then scrum process. That sounds funny, but did that make sense, Alan? <laughs> Absolutely. So, and then of course you've got your team. So you've got, so the product owner, the team, and the scrum master are the who's on the team. And these are your roles. So with the team, that just leans, again, back on straight on the who do method. But instead of ideation, the team is then going to jump over to implementation. And remember, with implementation, as the team is running and getting these uh, you know, tasks done throughout the day, your prover becomes your point guard. And so that's the other piece. It's like, they didn't even put in it. They just said, this is your team, five to nine people. And this is what probably their skills need to be, I'm sure. But looking at their core nature of work, you want to have a balanced team as you're doing the day-to-day, -day, you know, work and the day-to-day -day process and having that team, if you really want to run fast. And I think, um, it, that's the point of Scrum and Agile is to run fast. But if you don't understand the core natures of work, you can really, really run into some some challenges because what it, you know you could end up with a really crappy product even though you did it really fast, right? Absolutely. So again, let me reiterate the uh, three different who's in Scrum are the product owner, the team, and the Scrum master. Okay, so we talked about them. And again, I wish we had more time to get into all the specific details of this, but if you look at the big picture of the team and then, uh, or the role and the process uh, in a video, you'll be able to apply that very easily overlaying with the Hoodoo method in a project management um, focus of getting some intangible aspect of your company uh, accomplished. So let's move then to the four meeting types here. So there, so this is a part of the process. I'm not going to go through all the different, you know, product backlog and the list and the right. sprints and all that stuff. We don't have time to do that. What we want to talk about is there are four specific meeting types that are rules of are meetings that are there's rules by which when you have them and what you do in them. And so the first. Um, meeting type is the sprint planning meeting. Okay, so this is where everybody else sits down and it they talk about who is going to do what part of the process. And Alan, I know what you're going to say where you can run into problems. There. <laughs> yeah, this is this is already a giant red flag. This is like a whole squadron of red flags that go up here because what they do is they decide who does what, but how do they decide that? It's usually arbitrarily. It's like okay, because you, you missed know, the meeting. You're wearing a green shirt today, or yeah, or you were late, so you have to do this. You know how that goes. It's just all random. And so what happens, like all of us who were in our peak work, meaning what we do well and what we're, we love to do, we do it really fast. And when we're in our weak work, as in weakness, then we do it really slow and plodding. And so what happens here is this this is so critical because it, this determines how well people can actually do their work and deliver their deliverables. And so you're planning a fast meeting, but if you send the wrong person off and they go to work in their weakness, they're going to struggle. And by the time it gets to the next checkpoint, they're not done. They're trying to cover up, whatever it might be. But uh, th this is uh, probably the most critical piece that uh, 
that they miss. Yeah, who does what. C- going quickly and the quality of the work, right? Um, because yeah. if, if you're asking somebody to do what they absolutely stink at, the whole point the of being stinks. agile and doing <laughs> scrum. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Okay, so the next meeting is a stand-up meeting, okay? And this is a daily 15-minute meeting that um, they talk about is everything still going well? Have, you know, uh, are we still going to hit our deadline? Right. And so, and again, it happens every day for 15 minutes, just so the team checks in with each other. So a challenge that they could run in here too, I think Alan is shaker. If you have a shaker on your team and they're not helping pick the idea from the mover about what potential, I mean, if you don't run the process, it just ends up being that same exact meeting where, um, yeah, we're on schedule and they had, and, and not only that, but gosh, if this meeting wasn't an open meeting about, can you imagine a prover in this meeting not being able to express their ideas freely because of some other unconscious bias that you were talking about? Yep. So, you know, if the shaker's not getting help from the mover, right, to pick what idea or what they're running with, because I think they, in the rules, it's like you don't pick more than five things in a day. Uh, and then the mover getting help from the shaker with ideas to solve, right? Those obstacles that that's why they're having the stand up meeting and you don't allow the prover to say what's going to go wrong. Right. And then have the maker, if they don't get a chance to raise the issues on the implementation, what happens is, is that stand up meeting probably can become a big bugger. And either it's that same culture of sit quiet, quiet, don't make any said moves. We have this 15 minute meeting every day anyway. Right. Yep. It's it's doomed to fail. It derails right away. People dread the meeting and then they go up and uh, they they go into it and they just try to, you know, when when people aren't ready for something, sometimes they'll start denigrating the whole process and it's just you're hanging on by a thread then. You know, this would be so interesting with working um, in a project management standpoint and always allowing the prover every day in that 15 minute meeting to tell you what's going to go wrong. Right. And never never kill the idea. (laughs) Never kill the idea. Exactly. Because exactly. And you just keep on running that process every day. Uh, And I have a gut feeling that becomes this, the stand up meeting can become just a feedback meeting, right? Not really something because the prover is going to be the best one to say what's going to go wrong and what we still haven't thought of. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And and if you want to have a great stand up meeting, then what you do is you run a uh, run a hoodoo method during the time between meetings during that twenty four hours or whatever, and so you, the shaker works with the mover and the mover works with the prover and so forth, so that by the time the meeting comes, they're ready to say, "Hey, things are going great. We did this and this and this and this, and here's our result." As yes. opposed to struggling and and trying to figure out what went wrong and so forth. Yeah, so you could add in another meeting in between or at least understand the methodology. So when the team of five to nine people are working together, they have a process by which they're being agile within, you know, using the Hoodoo method and being agile within their team implementing during the bigger picture scrum. (laughs) Walk down the hall or get on the phone or whatever and you say, hey, I need help with this. Oh, thanks. Okay, bye. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's all it takes, right? When you understand the process. And then there's another meeting, it's called a review meeting. And this is where uh, you deliver the results and you get feedback from it. So, you know, 
this could be a huge potential issue, Alan, I think, um, mm-hmm. if you didn't have a process around delivering results and getting feedback, because there's going to be all sorts of stuff going on if you're not running a process on who gets the chance to knock something down on the results. How do you get the feedback, right? Because the feedback should just come in form of a process, not just willy-nilly. Oh, I think I think there's a problem with it here that um, no, I don't think you thought of this right. Oh, it just... To, to have those rules around those different meetings, right? Instead of being in that same meeting that, and, and I'm sure there's different teams that can manage this just based off of talent, but you want it to be based off of process. Cause again, 94% of failure is process failure, not people failure. So if people are failing, then we need to look to the process. And I think the review meeting would be a challenging meeting without a process. Yeah. Absolutely. And again, this is something where if you have the right people doing the right thing at the right time and uh, and then you have the provers and the shakers not be in the room at the same time because those are the ones who, who argue, then you've got a review that looks completely different. Yeah, you that's a good point. And it removes all can... those, the personality pieces when you do that. That's right. You don't like my idea. You don't like me. So instead, you just see what's going to go wrong and you generate ideas to, uh, to solve the problems, run the process. It's very fast. It's forwarding for everybody. And then you have a successful review. Yep, yep, yep. Awesome. All right. So the last meeting is called a sprint retrospective. I hate the name of that, even though I know what it means, but mm-hmm. um, a retrospective meeting, even though I love retrospective meetings as a mover, um, surprise, surprise. And this is why you talk, then this is when you talk about what went well, what you can do to improve the results next time. Right. And th- I think in this regard, really giving people a, a different role to Alan makes a lot of sense, right? Instead of just yep. saying, okay, what went well? Everybody writes down, what can we uh, improve the next time? And then <laughs> it's over, right? I think that, that giving people a more specific, owning their core nature of work makes a lot more sense than just making it an open forum. Yeah. For example, you've got the positive and the negative. So start off with the movers and they say what went well because they've got an overview of it and they're always trying to move things ahead so they want to see what went you know really zoomed along and and was a great outcome they get to say that then you can have the makers in the meeting record and and uh what went well and seeing how to uh how to codify that how to uh record it and install it as a default process for next the next time and then of course after you get all the positive stuff you can have the provers say what went wrong and then ask the shakers to generate ideas to solve the problem so boom you're right back into a quick uh, hoodoo method and then you're out of there and you've got a very nice positive yet uh corrective uh, retrospective to uh, help you have the have it go even better next time. Yeah, and you know one of the things I love about running the method um, and identifying somebody's core nature of work, they're so much more likely to show up. And what I mean by that is, is as soon as you give people that space in what we call their lane, and you don't you know you don't commingle the animals you got to stay in your lane they own that lane it's a comfortable lane for them and so if you're working with the team and you're asking for ideas on how next time you could fix that and make that better shakers are going to own that lane very well right and and you're going to get more activity in your meetings 
simply because if you've got two shakers on your team or three shakers on your team and you're looking at them for that piece of the meeting, they're just going to show up the same with all the other four core natures of work. And I think that's something across project management and specifically we're talking about Scrum today, we're using it as an example, is really critical because we like to call all these names, culture, employee engagement. But if 94% of failure is process failure, not people failure, I would venture to say they're just not using the right process. It doesn't matter um, in regards to who you have in that. Well, it matters who based off of your core nature of work that you have in that room. But I think meetings across the board on not only project management, if you use the process, people own that space and you get that engagement and they, they want to be good at that and it's natural to them and it's easy for them. And I think that's critical across all those four, um, four different types of meetings in different, slightly different ways as we, as we mentioned, because they have specific meanings for each of those four meetings. So, and this is critically important. I know, um, I just mentioned uh, employee engagement. I know Gallup loves to use this and they've got tons of stats on this. You can look up into your heart's content. They've been doing it for 50 years. And there was a recent study that Gallup just came out with. that says when employees are explicitly encouraged to use their talent in pursuit of a goal. So that means giving them ver- something very specific, which I think Scrum does really well. And it, yes. and it makes rules around it really well. That performance on your team is going to improve by 8 to 18%. All right. I mean, and that's, that's incredible. Think about what that means mathematically to your bottom line and culture, all those things I just talked about, employee engagement, right? And they also say that it leads to uh, 10 to 19% increased sales in 14 to 29% increased profit and those there are you go you i always, forgot to do the second part of the study so <laughs> you can always yeah, take exactly. that back to management you take that back to management and you see you know this is a return you're getting on your investment and that's something management always wants to hear so and here's um, the other thing i think yeah. alan with with gallup in these studies this is a study but they're not taking into consideration if they use the hoodoo method like right. they're just saying that, Hey, give them a goal. Think about how vanilla that is right now. If you mm-hmm. give them scrum, it's going to be even better because the, it gives you a specific goal and some rules. But That's if you're true. doing project management and you give them a goal, you give them the methods like scrum and breaking up into these teams uh, with intangible things to move re- need to be really quick and move really quick. And then you lay overlay the hoodoo method on top of it. I mean, you're just like zooming, you're putting gasoline in a match on that. Yes, and that's what we like to do. Woohoo! Awesome. So, final one final thought on this that just pervades all this is uh, a couple of things. One is that you can take almost any one of these methodologies that people are promoting, uh, whether it's uh, Agile and Scrum, or whether it's just general principles of project management. Uh, it can be Gallup's Strength Finder, and there's always something missing and if you can find that thing that's missing that makes people work better smarter and faster and put out more then your numbers go way up and if there's anything we would want to say i think to sum it up about the who method is it's just such a a powerful way to take any process and make sure that you have the outcome that you want. You can actually 
meteorically increase your results. And we've shown it three to eight times better simply by getting the right parts of the work to the right person at the right time. Yes, I love that. And overlaying it because because you don't have to take away anything and any methodology that you're already using, just right. overlay it and put gasoline in a match on what it is that you're already doing. Well, thank That's you. That's why so we much. call it the, the people catalysts yeah. because it's a catalyst for what you're doing. Love it. Love it. And we are doing the beta test for our, um, our validation, our validation study for our assessment. So for the time being, you can go to the people catalysts and that is plural because we need you all. We just don't need you at the same time. (laughs) And you can take that, uh, that the first beta rounds and our validation study, and you will get a access to the assessment when it is fully validated absolutely for free so with that alan thank you so much for taking the time today this is really interesting i think very powerful for project management and uh, explaining on how you can use the process you already know but make it better by having a who to go to thank you for listening to the people catalyst podcast and remember it's a good life